Hey guys, welcome to the Ecom Unleashed podcast. I've got an epic host on today, Will the Man. He's a friend that I've met online in the digital marketing world. How you going, mate? Going well, thanks, mate. Great to be here. Awesome, mate. It's awesome to meet you digitally in the digital world. <laughs> totally, yeah, I know. I've seen you floating around for a, probably a couple of years, actually. I don't know. We're kind of competitors in the TikTok niche. I'm going to post something here. You're going to post something there. I don't know how to keep up with you. You're coming up with all this awesome new content and everything like that. And, oh, man. <laughs> I'll give you guys a quick intro about Will. Um, so Will co-founded Karmic with his brother, Sam, in 2013, a multi-million dollar juice cleanse company in Australia dedicated to enhancing physical and mental health through cold-pressed juice programs. Over the last nine years, he has transformed Karmic from a small kitchen operation to a successful business generating over $350,000 monthly in revenue and has also managed a substantial amount of advertising spend in the process, in the Facebook world. That's my domain, man. So I love chatting Facebook ads and direct response marketing and everything like that. We'll get into that too. He's also got a wealth of knowledge in scaling e-commerce brands and has been sharing this expertise through consulting and teaching business owners for the past four years how to reach their own $100,000 monthly revenue targets using the same strategies that led to the growth of Karmic. If you're seeking practical tips and tactics for growing your business, make sure to listen to the end, like, subscribe, click a little thing so you see the next podcast and everything else as well. Welcome, Will. Mate, great to be here. Very excited to chat through everything Ecom. I love sharing our journey in any way I can help people along their way to cut some corners and get some advantages, the better, man. That's what I'm all about. Epic. I love chatting to fellow e-com nerds. <laughs> Let's rewind a little bit and talk about your journey into e-commerce and entrepreneurship, brother. Who was Will in school? Who were uh, you? Were you Mr. Popular, sporty nerd? What are you? What, which domain did you get into? Yeah, I'd say, I'd honestly just say a bit of an all-rounder. I'd say I was fairly competent at school. I did enjoy school. I was I was actually school captain of, of my high school. So Oh, wow. Yeah, I had a lot of friends and was kind of, yeah, friends with everybody and things like that. Yeah, my, my priorities growing up was definitely Australian rules football. I was pretty... Very passionate about that, very serious about that from when I, when I basically started until probably 25 or so. And then, you know, didn't quite end up where I wanted to, to go and kind of played a bit more casually from that. But I think what I'd say is very, very straight and narrow, very kind of textbook with my upbringing, my schooling, my uni. And to be fair, not much or any real entrepreneurial blood, I would say. My wow. yeah, my my mum's tertiary teacher was for kind of twenty years. My dad's been in, in corporate. He's been he was representing small businesses a lot of the time, but, but by no means had his own business by any at any stretch. So yeah, no real exposure or expertise to, to small businesses or, or, or e commerce at all. So it I guess looking kind of back, it did kind of come out of left field. So really how I got into it was I'd been through, you know, uni and, and got my first job. I was, I was in the property industry. So I basically got a property valuations job at a, at a firm. My brother yeah. had done a similar thing and got a job at a big bank in, in finance. He was there for a few years and he, it was actually his kind of initiative where he was very into self-development. He was in a cycling club and they thought kind of thought a bit differently. They, you know, had their own kind of health weirdness you know that was experiment with anything to kind of get a few seconds you know on the clock he was pretty serious about it and we came across well he sam came across actually tim ferris's the four-hour work week which is obviously very well known in our in our field and he handed it to me and we read it sort of co-currently and i think immediately like the juices just started flowing about you know what we could possibly do outside of what we use yeah <laughs> literally literally like outside of what we knew which was typical schooling, you know, call it middle class, like very, you know, very fortunate upbringing that we didn't miss out on anything. And as I say, that kind of uni into a job scenario, and it's all, this is like our first taste of what's out there. And it was exciting. So within probably a month of reading that book, we had decided to leave our jobs to do something else and start a business together. Wow. We didn't know. So that, book, that book was the catalyst. Definitely, 100%, wow. 100%. That's awesome. If you guys yeah. haven't read the book, 4-Hour Workweek, you have to. 
Uh, yeah. My wife started reading it randomly once. I told her years ago, I'm like, babe, you need to listen. You need to read this. I always give her books. And one day she's like, you wouldn't believe I'm actually reading for her. What the heck? And it literally, I saw the shift in her mind, the way she thought about the world and worldview shift. You don't do everything in the book because mm. a lot of it's kind of not really relevant, but some yeah. a lot of the principles are relevant in this day and age now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily literally working four hours a week. It's more about lifestyle design is what we took from it. And also I'd say leverage. And so, you know, I think it was, it was sort of, that was 2012, 13. So it was pretty new then, you know, VAs, for example, all these kind of online platforms that are really common now just weren't was all new then and so yeah i read it probably i actually bought it from amazon like last year and read it and it was it seemed a little bit outdated but but it was still great to kind of reminisce so yeah we literally resigned from our jobs at the same time and didn't know what we were going to do we know we wanted to start a business so we just like literally threw in the towel <laughs> and we're like you guys went cold turkey yeah. I don't advise anyone to ever do that, but no, I, look, that's awesome. No, look, neither would I. I mean, but the way that motivation works that we've observed is you either are so fed up with your personal circumstances that gives you a jump to, to anything. Or the second thing is that you see the grass is actually green on the other side. And if you want to jump over to that and you're motivated to take action that way. So we were kind of a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, we were still young enough that we didn't have a lot of risks and responsibilities. I was, I think, 23. My brother was kind of 26. So, you know, we didn't have any mortgages or anything at that point in family. So it was low risk. And, you know, despite my sort of parents raising us the way they did with no exposure to this sort of stuff, they were still very supportive of it. Not that we necessarily needed permission, but they were supportive, which obviously helps. You know, we weren't getting any backlash from them, right? We need the support yeah. of our, our, our networks. So in the first month to two weeks to, to two months, we had a concept of getting into the coffee industry, actually, because, you know, part of the concept, and when I'd say that we use the four hour work week, that was literally like our textbook, our Bible, we bookmarked every page. And Tim Ferriss talks about scratching your own itch, which means creating a business that you yourself use so that at least you've kind of got a market of one, meaning that there's definitely more people like you out there and that you'll you'll stay interested in it because it's literally something that you enjoy and, and are passionate about. So anyway, coffee, we loved it. We knew we didn't know much about it. But we but after that first couple of months in going down the rabbit hole, going to roasteries, talking to people, we were trying to find opportunities in there. And we basically had discovered that it's an incredibly competitive industry that goes from a long line of family business and relationships between like roasters and cafes and like the farmers in Guatemala and things like that. And so we were just like, we're never going to get, you know, tap into this market. So we, we were kind of at a little bit of limbos. And I actually remember the moment we're in St Kilda Road in Melbourne and our sister was there actually because she worked across the road. But it was the three of us just chatting about, you know, what, what are we going to do? Sam and I were saying, look, we don't feel like there's an opportunity here. We're not sure what we're going to do. And it wasn't, we, as I say, we, we weren't under any pressure. There wasn't any panic stations about what we were going to do. We just felt like the solution was going to come to us. And it just so happened we were sitting down for a coffee and Sam had brought a juice with him that he had juiced from home on his brand new kind of cold pressed juicer, which was sort of cutting edge in sort of 2012, you know, the old Oscar Neo kind of thing. And we just started talking about it. And I think the line he threw away was, you know, I see some issues with coffee because there's limitations with caffeine, who can drink it, the market, who likes it for a start. And then he kind of looked at his juice and I said, but I'll, I'll literally feed this juice to like my baby or my grandma, meaning that anybody can drink it. It's literally just juice. and that opens up the market entirely. And it was basically in that moment, we were like, well, why the hell don't we just do juice? Wow. And that's, that's what came about. And so, yeah, through, yeah, it was a massive light bulb. And so through, through Sam, what he was doing, he was actually on a juice cleanse himself, right? So as I said, you know, the cyclist community, they were kind of pretty cutting edge and hardcore with their health protocols. And we didn't initially say, let's do cleanse programs, but we said, let's create the juice and let's try and basically sell it for the reasons that we, we we still push to this day. And over, well, basically within 24 hours of having the idea, Sam sent a few messages out to his old friends where he worked and some cyclists. They said, yeah, I'll pay money for that juice because they knew the effort and inputs that went into it. So it was already basically a warm enough market that they saw the value, right? Like initially our customers were our ideal customers were people that had their own juicer 
used it once and shoved it under their kitchen bench. So they knew because they saw the value in it, the inputs and the mm. demand at the time. And so, yeah, within 24 hours, he, we had sold, I don't know, 50 bucks worth of juice, hundred dollars worth of juice or something. It's just, we literally cycled into the city and, and traded the goods for the cash. And then I think the next day, or at least a day after we'd spoken to our parents about it, one of our parents' friends called us and said, hey, we heard about this new juice business, which we hadn't spoken to anyone about. We want to do a cleanse program. Can you juice, make us some juice? Wow. Like literally in 48 hours, it was really weird how it happened. And again, they exchanged money. We literally went to the supermarket because we didn't have any bottles. We poured out or we tipped into a jug, you know, some 1.25 liter soda water bottles and filled it with cold pressed juice, like five liters, you know, and sold it to them for a hundred bucks or something. And so it really was that kind of scrappy and, wow. you know, gorilla, I guess you could say to get our start, but that really gave us validation that we were onto something and that we could start to pursue that with absolute confidence. So that was a span of, you know, reading the four hour work week, leaving our jobs and coming up with a cold press juice business idea of probably, yeah, probably three months. But yeah, three yeah. months. Wow. Yeah, probably it's, three it's months. jammed into it. Yeah. 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 It did, it did happen quick because we kind of gave our four weeks. We had a bit of an idea of the coffee stuff initially, yeah. maybe, you know, a month or two of coffee pursuing that. And then, yeah, we just transitioned to the, the juice and then, yeah, the rest is... <laughs> sort of history you said a few things i think that would resonate with a lot of people in that journey but one thing i i don't know if i agree with you said it was low risk <laughs> i <laughs> you're like oh it was low risk to just get in and i'm sure it, it probably is low risk compared to some other things but you guys left your jobs that's huge risk and i don't know what years we're getting paid in property like i i think i read some of these like on six figure salaries or one years or whatever yeah. we're turning over pretty good money you left that. That's to me is that's a big risk that people have to take if they want to get into this world. I think. Mm, yeah, for sure. It, it's definitely you know how how you do perceive it and and what responsibilities I think you do have as well. And you know we've often said we wouldn't do it again in the sense of taking that bigger risk or having that bigger runway. I think is is more of the point. You um, would, sorry, if you did it again, you would rather have a bigger runway. Is that what well, you're we wouldn't do it without having a bigger runway. Like we literally okay, had yeah. you know call it. I don't know, maybe, yeah, you're right. We're both on six figure salaries, just, you know, hundred K each. Um, we maybe had 50 K in the bank each, maybe, yeah. or maybe less, probably like 20 or 30. So we were like, okay, sweet. We're good for six months or something like that. But but the way, the way that we saw it, and I think this was really important and for entrepreneurs generally is in, in, in dealing with risk and potential consequences is most things are reversible. Right. So our worst case scenario was like, this business doesn't work. We could get another job. Yeah. It wasn't, it wouldn't be that hard. We were, we had yeah. degrees and we we're qualified and we had some experience. And so it was not worth not taking the risk basically for us, you know, wondering yeah. what if for the next 50 years. <laughs> That's straight out of the four hour work big book too. Right? There's like a chapter on that. Isn't That's it? exactly it's like, right. Correct. It's like basically, I don't know what the chapter, all of the terminology says, but it's basically what is the worst case scenario? What is That's that absolutely right. worst? And if you can make peace with that, really, whatever, just go for it. hundred percent. Yeah. Tim Ferriss. And he's got a good Ted talk on that too, which is, it's about fear setting. Yeah. And that's a good once one. you have the knowledge, like literally written down on paper, what is the worst that can happen? You can plan for it and mitigate it as best as possible. You're exactly right. So that's the yeah. way that we uh, thought about it. Yeah. Awesome. And that story, you fell into an interesting way to sell juices. So I, I'd love for you to talk about this because I think oftentimes people struggle. They're like, okay, I want to sell juice. Okay, cool. So I've got juice. I'm just going to start selling it and putting flavors on it and marketing juice. But what you guys did is you went into the, I, hang on, what was your terminology? You went into a program space. Like yeah, you, you went in, yeah, you create programs. You're selling a product, but it has an outcome. And you're basically you're selling the outcome, would you say, rather than the actual juice? Absolutely. I think that that's been a huge driver for our success. Yep. Is that, and I don't know how much was that was actually conscious at the time. What actually happened there was we actually, I wouldn't say backed ourselves in a corner, but we, we let the decision make happen for us. And I'll explain that a little bit. So when we came up with our recipes, we literally only had two juices, a green and a red juice. But the number one thing, and Sam was the driver behind this, my brother, who we started the business together, was that there was to be no fruits in our juice. 
Okay. Because as I say, going back to his hardcore kind of health knowledge and research and whatnot, fructose is as like dangerous isn't the right word, but as I guess volatile in the business as any other refined sugars. Okay. Especially with volume. All right. So if we equate that to drinking five liters of juice in a juice cleanse over a couple of days, it's like, you may as well just have three liters of Coke. Basically there's a lot of fructose in fruits, obviously. So the number one thing was that we, we already had a point of difference based on our industry, well, not industry, but like our product knowledge and belief system. Okay. So it was literally a non-negotiable. That was the number one thing that Sam came up with in the recipes. No I love fruit. that you have non-negotiables right. in your business. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was literally that. And it was purely for the health. It was, as I say, this we, we were kind of rolling with this, not subconsciously, but more just as a belief system that that, that was what was going to prove to be our point of difference and our absolute niche which as mm. i say wasn't like a super conscious thing at the time so with that right we had recipes and and our first recipes i swear to god were like the green was like celery spinach cucumber kale think of all the greeniest things you could possibly think <laughs> that tasted probably like a bit like a swamp that was the swamp shit. and that was basically it so it was super hardcore and we, as I say, this is what we we came up with. It's like, we want to go down that degree and, and hit those sort of people that don't care about the taste, but see the bigger picture of the the health benefits. And so, yeah. and so what, what, what I'm getting at here is when we started selling our juice, yes, we hit up all our contacts in previous workplaces. We had some football contacts, which was really surprising actually that, you know, footballers and our local clubs and stuff wanted to do juice cleanses pretty bizarre but you know the support was always appreciated and that got volume for us cycling and stuff like that but then in between we were also doing as many things as possible to get exposure so we we formed relationships with you know through all our coffee ventures and going for coffees every day with our research there we built relationships with the owners and have chat with them we said look we're doing this idea juice cold pressed juice and as i say at the time the cold pressed juice scene was becoming new there was one pivotal company called Press Juices that were really trailblazing. They got in you know, significant locations. They got really popular. They got the influences. They got really just kind of smashed the marketing completely. And yeah. what that did for us was we wrote on the coattails of them educating the market because it was the first time that people were charged 8 or $9 for a juice, right? The market standard for an Emma and Tom's or whatever it was at the time is kind of like $4. As we spoke to cafe owners about this, they were like, yeah, come in, you know, bring your juice in, leave them in the fridge and, you know, whatever we sell, we'll give you the money and that sort of thing. It was very much just like a branding exercise. We also did a few other kind of like launches, you know, in-person stuff. The, the point I'm getting at here is that we discovered that it's not like a one-off juice that tastes really good and gets you going and you'd substitute for, as I say, like a soft drink or another juice, right? Even today, if you put this juice next to an orange juice or an Emmer Tom's or something that's got even just apple in it, you'll, you'll turn your nose up. It'll taste like broccoli. So we, we really, really understood then that our, our market was not the one-off juice yep. purchaser. It was someone who's going to- what you want. Yeah, exactly. And so that-, that created, You accidentally fell into it, but this is exactly what you want. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, so or, like automatically, we, we identified the market and said, okay, this means that we now need to create programs minimum of two days. So what does that mean? You're not just selling one juice, you're selling 16 juices in one. The average order value or minimum value is basically $99 at that time. And we can work all the other things out as we go. The, the other big thing at the time because of, and still currently, because of the nature of the juice, cold pressing means that it's very slow processes, high inputs but there's zero preservatives and zero heat treatment or aeration, right? Yeah. So this is that, that's why it is kind of like the pinnacle of juices. But as a consequence, the integrity or the lifespan of the juice is three days max, right? right. So you can imagine giving juice to cafes. We had to go there every second day and pick it up, the stuff that wasn't used, right? Complete waste. So with this model, people ordered and we juiced it to order. So there was no waste whatsoever. And wow. so it, it created a lot of advantages that we were able to 
to leverage off of. And we really found obviously a tribe with people who had an understanding of the fructose and things like that. We could have these conversations with them and they kind of, you know, just grew and grew and grew, which was, yeah, amazing really. I can imagine those early days trying to figure that out would have just been like hectic, like just more things hitting you as you go, like shelf life. How do we do this? How do we solve this problem? How do we solve that problem? I was going to ask you how you guys navigated that part of your whole business journey. Yeah, it's a good question. Honestly, if I'm sort of recalling correctly and you know, we're not overly kind of like spiritual in any sense, but we had done enough kind of personal development even or business development to understand when to press on something and when to kind of let it breathe right so a lot of these ideas we kind of meandered through that just seemed to pop up and be good timing or have good fortune but really it was just through meandering through what we saw the opportunities to be trying things here and there that worked that didn't let's focus on this let's not focus on that and you know, we're still like, we still do that, but that was literally mm. the first five years. Absolutely. So yeah, it's that, you yeah. said, I think I read it on LinkedIn or Facebook. I don't know where it is. Cause I've read you, you kind of everywhere, man, <laughs> uh, but you talked, it might've been on TikTok that hit me. You said that you nearly shut your business three or four times throughout yeah. this whole journey as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's one thing that kind of people looking in don't necessarily understand with brands that appear to be doing well or, or making like a lot of money, right? You know, it took us, it took us 14 months to hit kind of our first 10K month, which again, sounds like a lot, but at the time it wasn't even profitable. Like we were working 80 hours a week each in the business, not paying ourselves, you know? And so for the next kind of five years or even sort of three to four years, even hitting levels of 50K, right? 50K a month, which is a great milestone, of course. But again, we were working so hard. We weren't paying ourselves anything and it was just like impacting on everything. Like I basically gave up, you know, playing footy seriously. You know, I think I'd, yeah, I'd finished study and everything like that. And this is all I was doing, which was great. But we were sacrificing a lot for not much return at that point in time. And so, yeah. you know, what, what I normally draw and even for my, you know, my clients now, we talk about the emotional roller coaster, which everyone goes through. As you progress up the ladder of, I'd say, revenue, your line flattens out in terms of your emotions. So your highs, not necessarily as high, your lows aren't as low and you kind of level, 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 level. So in that, in that time, like below 10K or even 50K a month, you're super extremes. Like it's the best day ever, it's the worst day ever, it's the best day ever. Yeah. And that's where people who don't realize their emotions make decisions from, right? And that's a dangerous place to make decisions from when you're super high, True. this is the best thing ever, let's do all this, let's spend all this money. Or the lowest level, we're like, this sucks, let's close everything, let's do that. So it was probably more those extremes we were experiencing. But yeah, I mean, we had options at, at, at any point in time to just say, let's just stop. It's not worth anything. We looked at selling the business. We got, you know, business reports done and stuff like that. And people came in and said, it's not worth anything because you guys are working so much, you're not paying yourselves. So you're running at a loss, basically. <laughs> And we actually took like a sabbatical at, at one point, I think in about 2017 for a month or two, honestly, with the intention of not coming back. Wow. Like, yeah. It was like, it had just done, it had just run its course and we just didn't want to do it anymore. And just said to the clients, look, we're taking a break again with the intention of not coming back. And then found the, found the mojo again and got it back up, sent out a couple of emails, people like, thank goodness you're back. Like we've missed you. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. Like we thought no one would care and just got started to get legs again. And that was, even at that point, the business was doing like 40 to 50K a month. And it yeah, was wow. so, such a, a burden, like personally that just had to have a break. And then yeah. 40 to 50K, like it, it, you can be slaving for that though. Like it doesn't yeah, mean anything good yeah. out of it. You got to watch out for people who have these big revenue numbers. They flash them around there, eh? And it's like, well, did you make any money? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's because ours was so, you know, labor intense as well. Like we just, mm. yeah. And look, there were a lot of mistakes that we made as well. I mean, we we were doing everything ourselves. And so we had to become the master of things. So it's kind of becomes a blessing and a curse where you have full knowledge, but you know, like you need people to trust and you need to just relieve yourself of certain things. Yeah. Like we, like we were literally delivering our, we were waking up at five or four or something in the morning, like juicing all day until about midday or 2 PM, 
like doing whatever between three and five or six or seven and then getting in our cars and driving at like 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. to juice to people's houses like every day. <laughs> oh and so, as I say, we were young and stupid, but if it didn't pay off, we would have been in trouble. But obviously doing that, going that intensely into the business and doing whatever it took to succeed because we believed in what we were doing was like obviously the key to everything. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome, it's been man. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Well done. Well done. Well freaking done, man. <laughs> you know, some people just have this, I just started selling something and it took off and that was it. I know. Like, from there, I'm like, man, what the heck? That doesn't happen. That's not real. <laughs> I hate those people. Okay. So you've been through all this craziness. You've been through hell and back and you got some traction. I don't know where that is, but I'm sure there was a point in time where you're like, okay, now we got some traction. Now we got some leverage. Now we got something we can scale. And we're probably going to talk in like marketing language now. Was there any strategies? Was there any pivotal moments in time where you're like, hang on, I think we're on to Facebook ads or influencers or something just started taking off? Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of trying to recall, you know, our like chronological order of what we actually did. We, we, we just literally relied on hustle in the beginning and that yeah. was our own contacts, our own organic yeah. stuff. You know, it was yeah. a touch different back then with the algorithms and how far you could go. I like that's people have to not be afraid that that's kind of how you start a lot of businesses. Totally. You just do, it's messy and it doesn't follow the business book. It doesn't follow no. like the business plan that you've written out or whatever. It's like, no, we hustled. hundred percent stupid things. <laughs> And I called a friend and he helped a friend and that's not the way to scale a business. That's how you start off. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, literally, I mean, we could look at our old email and phone records and sales records and say, though, you know, we absolutely, but we had our eyes on the prize in terms of this is how many cleanses we're going to do per week, per week. week. It kind of started to, with that focus, which is yeah, what I teach, you know, my clients in the program is really have that focus and things work around that. But yeah, in terms of marketing, there was definitely that, one thing that super stood out first and foremost was definitely influencer marketing. And we weren't consciously kind of doing it in the sense of we do now and how consciously we do it. We had a few friends who happened to have some followings and we gave them some juice and, you know, if they liked, it was very casual. And then over a couple of months period, we got introduced to more people who are their friends and, and whatnot because they loved our product. And one was particularly influential she was a model and you know had probably half a million followers at that point and agreed to you know do a cleanse i think i dropped it off one night and you know said g'day and whatnot so that was within the first 12 months that was about month 14 i believe and we hadn't cracked 10k a month i think we're hovering between seven eight nine we couldn't quite get over that and then she posted and we did 27k in that next month so from nine to 27 with like basically her one post wow Um, which was a huge breakthrough moment. Yeah. And from there, we basically didn't drop below, you know, 25K a month, such is the impact of that. And we were just like, okay, this is a strategy we have to put our time into and, and work on. And so we definitely did that. And we still use those strategies to this day, right? We basically- What do you, what do you got? I've got a product. I'm getting it out to influencers right now. What kind of strategies? Can you give us any tips or tricks that we can just start implementing in our businesses right now? Yeah, 100%. So it's basically just understanding where your market hangs out, okay? So understanding what platform that is. You don't discriminate between the platforms. You just find out where your market hangs out and understand and identify who those influential people are, right? Influential people just means if I tell you to do something or recommend something, you'll do it or some portion of their audience will do it, right? That You know, you think about us as our, our friends. If we tell them or recommend a book, for example, they'll do it. That means you've got influence. And so for us, it was Instagram. But the the hierarchy really of influence in effectiveness is I believe that podcast is number one, actually. So okay. the audience wow. of podcasts are the most influential. YouTube is number two. I think it's email lists like blogs and stuff, three. And then social media platforms are like number four in terms of wow. physical like output. So, you know, if Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan recommends something, like they'll sell out in five seconds. Like yeah. They'll blow up their business. So that's kind of how it works. So as I say, we don't discriminate between platforms. You just have to figure out where it is and how you can access them. So the process that we go through, and, and as I say, we go through this every single week within our company, and that's how we started out, is literally just DMing people in your industry, right? Having conversations, trying to get a response, trying to share about your business and why you think that would be a good representative of your business and just build a relationship with them. I think that's really important. People overthink it. 
that, mm. you know, you just be, be a person. And in fact, I've, we found that people are really, really, really willing and empathetic towards small businesses starting out, especially if you've got a great product or something groundbreaking and are really willing to support you. Yeah. And so what, what I'd say is, yeah, just kind of get rid of the shyness or work through the shyness because we do get self-conscious and, and just hit some people up like consistently and you'll probably hit, you know, you'll probably get a great response from most people, but rarely you'll get, you know, bad responses or yeah. rude responses. Like, there's no real need for, for fear in that. And then you'll find like what we sort of teach and what we do is like you send X amount of messages, you get Y responses, you get, you know, Z kind of collaboration. It's really as simple as that. Like send them a package. Hopefully I'll do some social content for you. And then in terms of our, our like our desirable outcome. It's kind of a hierarchy as well. So of course we want kind of sales number one, but the other benefits of seeding product to influencers is number two is going to be you're leveraging their audience. Okay. So it's one of the most cost effective ways to leverage an audience over to you, right? And that there's a cost to that normally, but if you can do it with product, then that's genius. And then yeah. the third thing is content. So user generated content, social proofing content, trust elements, so there's really, it's really multi-layered in that way. So yeah, I mean, the recommendation is get gorilla about it, you know, get down and dirty. There's, I love it. You know, there's no rules basically within. Have you got team it. members doing this or, and how does it work? Is, is it practically, okay, I found someone on TikTok or I found someone on Instagram and I, how do you DM? Is it DM through Instagram in a special way? Is it a, you've got to make sure the first five words are a certain way or emoji. What's an emoji that we should be using? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's literally, it's, as I say, find the platform and then just yep. be a complete human. Sorry, to go back to your original question. So, you know, this is how we started out. So we did it all ourselves. Yeah, we've got some help in the office now that we we work through with them and we, you know, train them and whatnot. And they, you just learn from feedback. Like we were saying before that you just start somewhere and build it up. You just learn with the market. You learn the responses. But yeah, it's literally, I basically have a bit of a fast and slow method. So one might be like a fast method is, Hey, like acknowledging them, love what you're doing, love your post about X, Y, Z, you know, we do this, which is similar or similar values. So you kind of start to bridge that, that gap and get them interest. And then there's no harm in asking. I'd love to collaborate with you. I think you'd be a great representative of our, our business. Would you be interested? Right. That's kind of a fast method. The slower method is really, you know, potentially following them over time, commenting, liking here and there and building a slow relationship. You can even DM and ask them about their content just to kind of get on their radar. And then, you know, a couple of weeks or a month down the line and asking, look, I think would be a great, you know, opportunity to collaborate with you. Would you be interested? So there's no, I wouldn't say hard and fast rules. It's just be, be confident, be a human, you know, always kind of treat people with respect and, and do best by them and you'll get a great outcome. We had a similar journey of just trying to get into the influencer space for a software, right? Because it's a very different kind of influencer, someone who can push software. It's like a podcaster or it's someone who's like a coach like yourself or someone like that, that actually has the influence over other businesses. And I was trying for ages, like trying to find people on TikTok and different things. And then eventually I came across, I don't know if you know Anita for Sell Anything Online, Anita. Yeah. Uh, she's pretty viral online and uh, I just randomly I'm like oh man I'm gonna do this slow I'm gonna it's kind of what you just said so I followed her commented liked and I just never got anything <laughs> then I went back I dm'd her and I dm'd her like maybe two or three times and then she posted a story because she wasn't very popular on Instagram she's hectic popular on TikTok but she posted a story and it was like a it had a commenter thing on box on it where you could write to her and I was like that's perfect. She's going to read all of these comments. So bang, that was my way in. But it was so guerrilla mode. It was like, this is not a strategy you can put everywhere. And the, it turns out she exploded our business. She was our, the first person. And from then on, it was just domino after domino. It's kind of now we can replicate what we've done now. And we've got strategy and stuff. But that first one is yeah. just DMing, sending them, I don't know, just I don't know, love yeah. hearts, send them a box of wine or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I think that it's definitely underestimated, you know, like we're saying our journey in the beginning, like, I think that is a, there's two common mistakes that people make with this like way of doing business. One is that they don't have the strategy or the confidence to pursue it. Okay. So I'm not saying that you can't strike gold on like the first time, but to do something consistently over time. And that's kind of yeah. having either a known strategy or just having faith that this is going to work out, which it will eventually is one thing. 
And the second personality trait is that people think they're kind of too big for it, right? Like mm. they think that, oh, yeah. you know, I'm 30 and, you know, I've got a family and stuff. I don't like, I don't have to do this, you know, whatever. And they're the ones that really do miss out because there's going to be someone who is prepared to do it and they're going to beat you. So yeah. like they're, they're kind of the two things. So yeah, man. I mean, gold's where you find it. You literally just, as I say, there's no rules. <laughs> you just yeah. get in the weeds. Yeah. Get in the weeds. Yeah, the weeds. Just do and the you, hard yards. Yeah. And look, you learn so much by being in there, honestly. Like that's where, that's where the real work happens. You can come out and kind of plan and forecast and get feedback and, and all this sort of stuff from, from being there. Right. But that's why, totally. you know, after a huge day of producing and doing orders and like delivering the last, the last thing we wanted to do emotionally was drive around Melbourne delivering juices. But it was honestly the best moment of the entire day because we got to speak face to face with our customers and just explain the process and learn each single time how to pitch it better, how to make sure they had the wow. best possible experience, what to look out for, you know, all that sort of stuff. So the interactions with people in your market and influences, influential people in your market is there's nothing actually more important than that. So, you know, we all need customers to, to build a business. So as much time you can spend in there as possible is, is you say it's really, really important to, especially in the early days to ask questions to your, to the customers. So even if you're doing well, or if you're not doing so well, asking questions, asking why, why have you bought from us? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Ask for, ask for feedback people and people will be really honest with you and they'll, they'll in a respectful way mostly. So it's just important because you, you worry about the ones that don't tell you, right? The truth. Yeah. hundred percent interaction as much Great. as possible. I love it. I love it, man. So you've also posted as well. I've seen around, there's really only two things that matter in any e-com business, traffic and conversions. Can you elaborate on this, mate? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, I've added another one since then, actually. That oh, here we go. Yeah, go, 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 go. But basically when it comes to, yeah, to sales and driving revenue, it is literally about your traffic, your conversions and your lifetime values is the third one. All right. So, yeah. So basically what I was actually thinking that in the back of my head, I'm like, man, this guy's missing something. Oh, really? Yeah. Now you've, you've nailed it. Yeah. That's oh, good. Cool. I'm glad yeah. <laughs> I'll take feedback. Yeah. Like most people that I kind of interact with an e-com business starting out, they're like, just if people, more new people knew about me, my business would do, do well. Right. It's like, well, okay. Most revenue sales problems stem from those three things. But in the beginning, we need traffic, which means what's underneath that. Okay. That's all the marketing strategies that we do organic and paid. Okay. Anything yeah. we can possibly do to get traffic to your brand, to your website. Once that's kind of underway and you never solve all these things, they're kind of ongoing, but there is chronological order when you start out. The second thing is around conversion. So we need to make sure that people are converting on your site. If they are great, you kind of keep tweaking things and seeing what you can improve. But if they're not, then obviously more traffic to your site is not going to solve your sales issue. So what do you need to do to change things there? Product, pricing, customer journey, user experience, trust, credibility, you know, could be as simple as changing the theme, the photos, whatever it might be. There's, there's many things on there. And then the third thing is, is once you've kind of got those humming and under, you know, under control is the lifetime value. So bringing people back to purchase with you. And we found that particularly important. Our returning customer rate is between 50 and 60%. Per that, when I, I heard you say that somewhere else, and that is insane, man. Well, yeah, that yeah, is look, huge. It is incredibly high. It's a consumable, so we're very lucky. But to us, what that says is it's like the biggest compliment of all, that people love our product in the experience. So we are lucky that, yeah, it is a consumable and people need to come back for more. But that takes an enormous amount of pressure off our front end which is the cost in time, money, resources to acquire new customers, right? So theoretically, each month, we only need to pay to acquire 50, 40 to 50% of customers each month, and then they'll come back. And also, even that cost is diluted because they come back, 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 right? So they're the main things that we, we target, you know, my clients and stuff in the program is it, I call it, just call it the magic three, traffic, conversions, and lifetime value, because most sales and revenue issues stem from those three things. If you can identify where you're, issues are then that's obviously the first step to to solving them so 
most people I hear talk about those first two, traffic and conversions. I'd love to get your take. I, I was going to talk about those two for a while, but I'm like, I think we need to dive straight into lifetime value over everything else. Because especially through 2023, this landscape is tricky. And I think the brands that are doing well from all of the sources I get are the ones who have nailed the lifetime value, who have focused on that over the last few years. Yeah. Can you give us some tips, some hints or strategies, what we should be going after, what, what we should be valuing and not valuing when it comes to lifetime value? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And, you know, I sort of got onto this, the importance of it when Apple changed their privacy with Facebook and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it was just so important to have a holistic strategy and to emphasize bringing people back to recoup those additional costs, which, you know, got significant. Like I saw some, you know, when I was managing people's ads, for example, like we were seeing cut by results cut by 40, 50%. So it was huge. And they were the ones relying on just kind of one source. But yeah, when it comes to lifetime values, I mean, every product is going to be different based on, as I say, the customer life cycle and you know what you're actually physically selling. For us, the biggest thing is definitely email communications. And so being able to create flows, you know, email flows, simple email flows, like winbacks and re-engagement. Using creating... what? Clavio? Yeah, we use Clavio. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's the simplest and easiest for everybody to, to use and integrates, you know, really, really well with Shopify and Facebook. So winbacks, sorry, I cut you off, winbacks. Yeah. And- yep. So we have like winbacks, we have like post-purchase flows, we have, you know, view contents, add to carts, welcome series. There's really only five or six pivotal ones that just, you know, keep things turning. But the it's just important to always be in people's inboxes, right? Serving impressions. Yeah. Like we always talk about impressions and that's just another way to serve impressions. So they're, they're the main things. And then that's like going in the background and then basically, you know, monthly campaigns, for example. So having the strategy around creating something new for people to be excited about a, to come back. And if we're talking about building databases and things like that, to create something new for somebody else to jump, to lower the hurdle, to jump over, to become a customer. So by creating something new and reframing something differently or changing a bundle or just being interesting, people are more likely to, to pay attention and come back. Around. I love the word reframing. I think people think that they're stuck. They're like, I don't know what to send. What email do I send? So like, well, hang on. There's, there's a lot of different what You don't just send an email. You need to build like some sort of a strategy. Have you got a calendar that you use as well? Yeah, we probably, we probably plan like a couple of months in advance. Yeah. Yeah. So planning the brands that kill it are the ones that plan in advance. They've got a product that they're probably going to release here, or they've got a a new way to frame that product that's best selling over here to keep it alive more. They're going to, they got a free gift or a partnership that they're going to do in three months time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely like infinite amounts of ideas. And I say this all the time about creating like content, but obviously the same as sort of campaigns is you should literally never have to reinvent the wheel. So the, the problem almost becomes that there's too much choice or too many options. So yeah, you just, what do you mean by that? Well, it's like, it's all the information out there online right now, right? It's like this strategy, this strategy, this strategy, and people just go and get overwhelmed. And so yeah. it's the same with creating content that people get a bit of like decision paralysis. Yeah. Um, so again, like with campaigns, it's like, oh, I could do all the five of these things. Well, yeah, they're all good. Just do one. And then see how that goes and then test that against the next one next month, test that again the next one and just, you know, iterate as you go. So the important thing is the action, right? Done is better than perfect. I like to say all the time. That's great, man. I love it. And I love how you were kind of talking about just keeping the story alive. Like you just gotta, you gotta create reasons to talk to your customer and educate your customer and everything like that. The previous brand in a previous life I worked with, they started absolutely crushing it when they started doing that. They just spent every single month trying to come up with a story uh, that they were going to talk about. It was a new product or it was a new take on a product like we talked about before, reframing, or it was a gift. They were going to change gifting every single two months. You could get a different gift whenever you purchased from us. And it just worked incredibly well. Uh, it's yep. just another reason to send an email to your customers and get more sales people yeah. back to your store. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I recently read that the US are crazy, right? I think it's, is it Grant Cardone? I think he yeah. sends like four emails a day or something. something. Don't be scared to send emails. <laughs> and I, I was, I was gobsmacked. And then, and then, and then, so what he said in response to that was, if you don't want to see my emails, I don't want you as a customer or you're never going to be a customer anyway. 
But yeah. Think about that cadence. We're scared to send two emails a month. No. Three emails a day. <laughs> Man, I, I like I, that was, so I handled direct response marketing and that kind of thing, but I was just hammering my marketing team going, guys, we need an email at least like once every second day at mm. least once every second day. And you can't make the excuse to me that we've got nothing to talk about. You need to get better at telling stories, get better at creating new things, new ideas. I don't care what you talk about. Just stay in contact with yeah. the customers. Are you cool with that? Like that kind of, yeah? <laughs> Do you agree? Um, or? Look, we are quite conservative. I'll be completely honest okay. with our community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But look, I mean, to be, to be fair, like we built this huge database and we never, it was... Like we were late to the party to a lot of things and that was email yeah. marketing as well. But we know if we pull that lever with the database we've got, like we'll generate 30 grand in sales. That's just- So good, man. It's just, yeah. I mean, it is give or take. It's not like you send five in a week and you get the same result. Yeah. But it's more just understanding your customers and how they like to be communicated with. And yeah, you know, there's always tweaking. I wouldn't say that we have that nailed or anything. We just experiment. Totally. Yeah. It's all about testing. Hey, a brand that's really cool. If anyone's listening, BioTrust. Have you heard of BioTrust no. over in the States? So they're a supplements brand. They, I think it was, don't quote me on this, but within 12 months, they'd turn over. It was like $50 million in their first 12 months supplements brand. And it wasn't just because they struck gold. It was because the guys who built it knew what they were doing. Like they were, like they were previously digital marketers that just nailed it and knew the niche. But they just scaled like crazy. And what they are big on is email. So they were, they went from zero to like millions and millions of people on their database. And they are very good at copywriting. Now, I don't advise everyone to copy the way that they talk to their customers, the way that they communicate. But all I would like to say is learn from them. So BioTrust, go sign up to their newsletter. Make your own version of it. Anyone who sees their email straight up, they just, I'm not going to do this for my brand. Don't do it for your brand. Do your own version of this. Be more creative. Make it more visual. You know the tone of voice that you're going to speak to your brand. I want to talk about underpriced attention right now. I like to talk about this with anyone who knows marketing. Where do you think the opportunities are for, I guess, smaller businesses who don't have those kind of budgets? You mean for like free methods or actually just really low cost? Both. Let's just do both. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, money in advertising or in marketing is a trade for time, right? So I, I really think that you have to have both. And you can't do one out of either laziness or, or you can't do paid rather out of laziness or thinking it's going to solve your problems. So a, a big issue that people face is that they may be struggling organically. They may not be getting reached. They may not be getting sales and that they see paid ads as like this golden goose that's going to save their business. But yeah. what we often talk about is something called fractal patterns, which means that if something's working or not working on a small scale, if you amplify that with money and paid ads, for example, you're going to get the same results. You're either going to get more of what works or more of what yeah. doesn't work, which is yeah. blowing cash. And a lot of people have bad experiences with ads and sort of profess that they don't work for that business. So you need to be doing like a little bit of both, but start with the organic. So I honestly think that, yeah, the underrated source is honestly the Instagram hustle. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I teach okay. this to, to my guys in the program. Firstly, the influencer stuff, because we have never seen bigger ROIs on your time. And even if you do pay the money, which we only pay about 10% of our influencers, that you'll get huge returns by hitting the right people. So spending time doing that. But at the same time, still trying to drive more people, impressions, attention to you by engaging with general people, right? So if an influencer is has followers that are in your market that you want them to influence too, you can still go and I don't like the word hustle because it sounds like hassle, but you can still go and grind and like basically follow them, like them, comment on them and engage. Because as soon as you, as soon as they, anybody sees a notification from some brand that they don't know, what are they going to do? They're going to check out your page. Bang. Like they're in your ecosystem. And speaking of low cost, if you have $5 a day, Facebook ads running, just retargeting, they're suddenly going to get served ads. Right. So in right. terms of like budget, ads, I would put on like Facebook and Instagram retargeting ads, which are very low cost because they're a custom audience, which complements all of the organic stuff that you're doing. You get a hit to your website, retargeting. You get a hit to your Instagram page, retargeting. So, so that's all kind of working in tandem. 
And then again, it goes kind of back to platform specific, but for us and most people I observe their markets are on Facebook and Instagram. And if you've got the budget to do so, you know, even doing 10, $20 a day on cold audiences, it just really does give you a nice foundation of consistent traffic to your site. They have yep. to obviously be relevant traffic. And we see that, especially kind of in our program with guys that have you know great content and nice products and clean websites that they convert really, really well, you know, anywhere sort of between three to sort of eight X, you know, returns. So I think that you can do them at low cost. That's my recommendations. I personally don't have a lot of experience with TikTok and ads yeah. as well. We have experimented, but to be honest, from our experience, we haven't had a lot of success given we feel with the higher price point and what we're about that, you know, that's not our platform. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. That's fair enough. You got to go where your customers are mm. and you got to test as well. Like you yeah. said, you tested it. I also want to encourage anyone who's listened to this to go to ad library, type in Facebook ad library, and then put Will's brand in seriously. And you, you will find a lot of his ads. So I just sneaky on you, mate. Yeah, do uh, it. <laughs> most of it's all user generated content. Most of it, it's all reviews. It's other people saying stuff about your product there's yep. a strategy behind that do you run those ads or is that yeah yeah i run that? those ads yep. yeah and so yeah, yeah. you know going back to that fractal patterns concept where yeah, yeah absolutely social proofing in ugc is a huge part of it because it's just trust and you know in the beginning you don't necessarily have that so you kind of try and use other levers but as soon as you've got it use it and a lot of that content i'll, I'll, I'll just like to kind of emphasize this is social platforms like social content so most of that stuff on there, apart from a couple of the reels and some influencer stuff is from me on my phone, filming it or taking a photo, like probably at least 50% of that content. So, so, you know, going back to the point of done is better than perfect, like just get it out there and, and start testing basically. It doesn't need to be yeah. Hollywood productions. In fact, we found that the Hollywood productions work less well than the point and shoot really. Because they're not built for the platform. They don't yeah. feel like they're natural. It's like you're selling me something now. Swipe. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of gurus out there in the silicon world. I've been exposed to a ridiculous amount of gurus. I've come from like dropshipping world as well. So I've been doubly hit from all of this guruness, Lamborghinis and everything. But what I love about you, Will, and your consulting and your style of teaching and everything is you're, you're doing the grassroots you know, you're, you're down in the weeds, literally DMing people, getting them to be a part of your programs or whatever, selling your products. You're running the ad, you're on the forefront and you've spent nine years doing this stuff. And cool. I, I just want to encourage everyone, if, if you're looking to go take your business to the next level, definitely reach out to Will and his team. Is there somewhere they can go? What's the best kind of way to connect with you, Will? Yeah, honestly, just on Facebook, Will, Will underscore De Bruin, I think it is. Instagram, Will.DeBruin. Yeah, send me a message. There's plenty of content on there. I'm sharing plenty of strategies. And uh, yeah. What can you do for people as well in their business? Yes. Yeah, what what type of person should be reaching out as well, by the way? Yeah, yeah. So I mainly work with e-com brands that are established, you know, have yep. some validation with their product, even if it is kind of, you know, 1000 to $2,000 a month. And we, I basically give them all the strategies, the resources and the tools straight from our business, you know, in, and download it into theirs. And the main objective of getting them to their first 10 and 20K months, ideally, right? So right. some people in the program are doing anywhere between 30 and 50 and, you know, we work on more advanced strategies than that. But yeah, that, that's all about all the strategies that we use using, you know, the Magic 3 that I mentioned and our e-com blueprint program. So yeah, feel free to reach out and look at the resources if you can. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Will. Woo. Appreciate it, mate. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me.